the leaders of Israel. In verses 1 to 4 we read, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. You'd think it was Kim Beasley talking about John Howard or Peter Denman talking about Morris Yammer. Can it be as bad as that? Well, Ezekiel gives us a tale of leaders who have been greedy, neglectful and oppressive and a tale of corruption. Verse 3 says, There's nothing wrong with the shepherds taking what they're entitled to. They could eat the curds, that's the milk solids that are often made into cheese or yoghurt. They could eat meat and use the wool. Nothing wrong with that. At home, we eat the odd sheep. And today, Roger is parading a vest that Jess knitted with wool from one of our sheep. Stand up, Rog. Uh, It was a black sheep, we won't talk about them. But Israel's leaders took more than they were entitled to and they neglected their flock, the people. Let's have a quick look at some kings in the Old Testament and see what they got up to. Let's start with Zedekiah, the last king of Judah and still king when Ezekiel was around and started his prophecies. Let me read what 2 Kings chapter 24 verses 18 to 20 say about Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Hamatel, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah, and in the end he thrust them from his presence. Let's go back about 280 years to one of my favourite bad king stories. In 1 Kings 21, King Ahab wanted a vineyard that was close to his palace for a veggie garden. It belonged to Naboth, and the king offered to buy it. No problem so far, but Naboth didn't want to sell it. So King Ahab and his wife had Naboth killed and took his vineyard. So Ahab was obviously bad news. Surely King Solomon, wise King Solomon, was all right. Let's go back another hundred years to 1 Kings 11, 1 to 3. Let me read it for you. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. Well, that's disappointing. He wasn't much of an example to his people either. But what about David, Solomon's father, and surely the greatest of the kings? Ask most people who was Israel's greatest king, and they will say, David. David, killer of Goliath. David, of whom it was said in 2 Samuel chapter 5, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, 
only five chapters later, we read how David took Bathsheba, the wife of one of his own men, and committed adultery with her. Then to make matters worse, he tried to cover up his sin. When that didn't work, he involved his soldiers in a scheme to get Bathsheba's husband killed. This is David, the one held up as the greatest king. What a letdown. And even Saul, the very first king of Israel, didn't live up to expectations. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul was told to totally destroy the Amalekites. But in disobedience to God, he destroyed the weak and despised things, but he spared the best of the fat sheep and calves. Saul's greed got in the way of following God's instructions. Do you see a pattern here? Even the very best of the kings were corrupt. Their people were exploited, neglected, abused, and worst of all, led away from God. Right from the start, earthly kings were disappointing, to to say the least, and many of them were bad, very bad. We shouldn't be surprised, though, because God said that this would happen. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 to 21, and see God's reaction when Israel said they wanted an earthly king. It's a longer reading, and you might like to look it up in your Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting at verse 4. It's 1 Samuel 8, verse 4. So all the leaders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers, He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your manservants and maidservants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen and the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. God knew it was him they were rejecting. And he knew and warned them what earthly kings would be like. But of course, man knew best. So God said, give them a king. 
So what's the result of all this bad leadership? Verses 5 and 6 tell us. Let's read them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and when they were scattered they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched for them or looked for them. The people were scattered and sent away from their promised land. Here Ezekiel is talking about the exile of the Israelites. They didn't all end up in Babylon, and they were scattered to many places, and were no longer God's people in God's land. They were sure that they had a right to God's land, Israel, but now they were scattered. Some were in Babylon, some were even back in Egypt. And in chapter 33 we read that Jerusalem had just fallen and been destroyed by the Babylonian army. Things are crook. Ezekiel is saying, all this is because your shepherds have not looked after you properly. (coughs) Verses 7 to 10 tell us what God's going to do about it. Ezekiel says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. Because of what they've done, God will be against them and he will hold them accountable and he will remove them from leadership. If we think back to chapter 21 in Ezekiel, Ezekiel said then that the leadership of Israel would be taken away from earthly kings until he came to whom it rightly belonged. That is, until Jesus came. And that's what happened. Zedekiah was the last king of Judah. What else will God do? Verses 11 to 16 tell us, and we're up to point three in the outline. Verse 11. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Ezekiel tells us what God will do for his people. He will rescue them from the nations, bring them back to their own land. They will feed on the very best pasture. They will have rest. He will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. There could not be more of a contrast 
all the things God says he will do are the exact opposite of what the bad shepherds had done. In sheep terms, it would be like going from a, being locked up in a dry, dusty sheepyard in Mandurin to being put onto lush, irrigated lucent paddocks. The human kings had failed, and they did precisely what God said they would do back in 1 Samuel chapter 8. They couldn't be trusted. But what God says he will do will happen. In verse 16, God says, I will shepherd my flock with justice. God has judged the shepherds already, but one legacy of corrupt leaders is corrupt people. The leaders had a great responsibility and they stuffed it up. Not only did they depart from God's ways, they led the people astray and the people were corrupt as well. Let's read 16 to 22. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another, between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you, you have driven them away, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. Well, this bit's pretty easy for me to understand. We're feeding all of our sheep at home because of drought. A couple of months ago, we put about 900 wean lambs into a small bare paddock with some self-feeders of grain. After a couple of weeks, it became obvious that half of the lambs were getting big and fat, and the other half were getting thinner and looking miserable. In the end, we had to take out the thin lambs and put them in another paddock. Why? Because the fat sheep were bullying the thin ones, pushing in and getting the feed and chasing away the shy ones. There was plenty of feed there for them all. I've lost my place. <laughs> there was plenty of feed there for them all, but the bullies were not content just to eat their fill. They actively chased away the shy ones. So what did we do? We took, to them, we took them to the sheepyards and drafted them up. As they came up the drafting race, I sent the fat ones one way and the thin ones the other way. The fat ones went back to their bare paddock, but the thin ones went on to a much better place, a paddock with green feed. <coughs> and that's exactly what God says he will do. He will judge them. He will draft up his people. The ones who have been oppressors and who have been using their power to take advantage of others will be judged, and the oppressed will be rescued and given special care. And what is that special care? We find out in the rest of the chapter. In verses 23 and 24 we read, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Who's he talking about, my servant David? Well, King David is long dead. 
David was king from 1011 to 970 BC, 400 years before Ezekiel. So it can't be him. Ezekiel is referring to one of David's line, that is, a descendant of David, as the only one worthy of being the shepherd of God's people. Ezekiel is pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. The Apostle Paul in Romans 1, 1-3 confirms this. Let me read it to you. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. So Jesus is the shepherd that Ezekiel said God would send. Let's read on in verses 25 to 29, and this is point four in the outline. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forests in safety. I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season and there will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety, and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. What's God promising? Peace? Blessings? Showers in season, plenty of food, security, freedom from oppression. It all sounds like a return to the Garden of Eden to me. I think the prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 25 to 31, is echoed in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. I'll read to you what John says in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I think when Ezekiel speaks of the covenant of peace and the blessings to follow, he is actually talking about the new creation, about heaven. Chapter 34 finishes with the great statements of verses 30 and 31. Then they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, are people, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, what would the exiles have been thinking when Ezekiel gave them this message from the Lord? Well, they certainly knew things weren't going well. They were in a foreign land. 
Jerusalem had fallen, they haven't got a king, and they must have felt let down by their leaders. But they had the promises God had given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Promises of blessing, a great nation, and land. But they certainly didn't feel blessed, they didn't look like a great nation, and they didn't have a land of their own. So when Ezekiel came speaking of blessings, a land of plenty and a great king, they must have been thinking, this will happen soon. We'll get a new king. We'll go back to our land and everything will be all right again. Their eyes might even have glazed over with hope and anticipation if they'd looked back to that other Old Testament shepherd passage, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right through to and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The sad news is that many Jews are still waiting and hoping. And if we have a look at the news, things still don't look that good for the Jews in and around Israel. They are waiting for a great earthly king who hasn't come and never will. The good news is that God has shown us who Ezekiel was talking about. This is point five in the outline. Let's have a look at John chapter 10, verses 10 to 18. You might like to look it up. Jesus is speaking and says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns a sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. What's Jesus saying? He says, I am the good shepherd. Not one of thee, but the good shepherd. He says, I know my sheep, that's us, and they know me, just like my father and I know each other. Jesus is pointing to a deep, intimate relationship between him and us, just like between him and his father God. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep, pointing to his death on the cross for our sins, so that we may have life. He says he's got other sheep to get, not of this pen, showing that salvation is not just for the Jews, it's available to all, even us. God said in Ezekiel that he was sending the one true shepherd. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I am that good shepherd, and I will bring you back into a right relationship with God. No sin, no Satan, nothing to be afraid of, just eternity with God. As my daughter Megan would say, it's all good. But it's not all good. 
Not for everyone. Remember, God has a set of sheep guards with a drafting race. And he can and will draft off sheep and goats, fat sheep and thin sheep. It makes sense to me as a farmer that if people stubbornly refuse to have God as their shepherd, he won't have them in his flock. I know what paddock I want to be in. Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 23 tells us, the good shepherd will come. John chapter 10 tells us, Jesus is that good shepherd. Ezekiel 34, 25 to 30 shows us God will make a covenant of peace with us and will secure a place in heaven for us. John chapter 10 shows us that Jesus gave his life so we could have peace with God and eternal life. And Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 31 proclaims to us, You, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture are people, and I am your God declares the Sovereign Lord. You know, we're like a mob of sheep. Sheep need a shepherd. There's all sorts of shepherds in the world, shepherds of countries, shepherds of churches, shepherds of families. Those of us who are leaders in in any capacity know that at times we are hopelessly inadequate. And as followers, we all know that our shepherds on earth are far from perfect. We've all been let down by a shepherd, Many of us have been neglected by a shepherd and some of us here may even have been exploited or betrayed by someone meant to lead us and protect us. Don't despair. There is one good shepherd, one perfect shepherd who all people desperately need and God has given him to us, Jesus Christ our Lord. I reckon if we read Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 31, every morning when we got up. Our lives would be transformed as we went into each day with eagerness, wanting to please our Lord. You, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, are people, and I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord.